Master Plumbers Radio, bringing you all the stuff you won't learn in trade school. Welcome to Master Plumbers Radio. Today I'm joined by Vanessa Robinson, founder and executive director of the Chase and Tyler Foundation, a not-for-profit organisation set up in memory of her sons Chase 8 and Tyler 6. Vanessa, thanks for joining me on Master Plumbers Radio. Can you tell me a little bit about the foundation and the role that you play? Absolutely. Thank you for having me here today. Um, So I established the Chase and Tyler Foundation after my children, Chase and Tyler, were killed by carbon monoxide in 2010. So this was caused by a faulty gas heater which spilled carbon monoxide into the premises. So my children died and I was also severely injured and was in hospital for near two months suffering from rhabdomyolysis, um, renal failure and a few other things to name a, <laughs> name a few wow. and have still quite a few disabilities due to this such as memory damage and as well as um, severe nerve damage in my left arm, hand and shoulder. So you set up the foundation uh, shortly after or? I, d- I did. So um, I was in hospital and um, took a little bit to sort of comprehend exactly what happened yeah. because I was in a coma for a little bit and then obviously quite unwell. Yeah. And um, and then when I was fully ad- advised about how my children died, I was completely astonished, shocked, obviously yeah. traumatised because I just couldn't comprehend how something that I've used for my entire duration of my life and I had no conception that this indeed was dangerous. I mean, I always had the understanding that there could be a potential explosion from gas but never had I heard of carbon monoxide poisoning except for in the movies, um, you know, where people have intentionally caused harm to themselves. So um, I wanted to take action right there and then and I knew that I just couldn't sit back and watch this happen to other people. So as soon as I was well, I um, end up being discharged and I um, contacted my local member, Dr. Sharman Stone, who I stipulated that um, we needed to make sure that this never happens again and to legislate mandatory carbon monoxide um, appliances in all homes as well as mandatory servicing in government and rental houses and also just address the gas safety policy across Australia. So um, that essentially went to Parliament, received bipartisan support, where that um, created the gas safety strategy. So um, a big process process went into that with the outcome of each state regulator having to conduct awareness campaigns throughout Australia. So that was uh, essentially the build on what has become you know, our uh, really successful campaign these days. But not, uh, not long after that, I also contacted uh, Energy Safety Victoria and essentially said the same thing as what I said to Dr. Sharman Stone that you know we need to conduct a campaign and are they willing to join forces with me so um, they immediately jumped on board and we created our first TV commercial which was carbon monoxide the silent killer where I am um, was in this video with, along with my ex-husband so it was a really I suppose, emotional video where it engaged our community members and they could obviously see and identify that this is a risk in their homes and to take action about servicing gas heaters. 
Yeah, so I can understand at, at that time there would have been little to no knowledge for the community on what actually carbon monoxide poisoning or what carbon monoxide was and how it can affect people. So mm. how, how long between um, the incident at your house and... Uh, and setting up the charity, what was the time difference there? Oh, um, so I think I was discharged from hospital perhaps, oh gosh, I've got a terrible memory, <laughs> part of the, okay. the issues of carbon monoxide, potentially around July, I'm guessing in 2010, could be a little bit off, but um, so I pretty much, I think, before the end of um, 2010, I had made contact with Sharman Stone yeah. as well as Energy Save Victoria. And in 2000 and late 2010, early 2011, I initiated a Facebook page, which yeah. was to create carbon monoxide awareness throughout our communities. So it was a nice, cheap, free resource um, that I could manage. And then oh, from and it's this... One of, <laughs> being, being involved in a charity myself, it's one of the greatest way to get in touch with the people that you do want to be involved in uh, mm your quest I guess. Absolutely it was a fantastic way to engage people and create that awareness especially when you know, it was just myself doing it at this point and I had absolutely no money so um, we had some really successful uh, I suppose engagements with community members who had no idea and who were thanking us essentially or myself at that point for raising this awareness so um, it was the end of 2011 is when we officially initiated the Chase and Tyler Foundation. Fantastic. So originally you went about this on your own. Um, it would have been a pretty daunting um, challenge, I guess, and a, a bit of a, an experience in itself going out and, you know, fighting for you for what you uh, knew had to be done. Um, was it easy to get people to help you in doing what you wanted to do? I think people were um, certainly on board in relation to what I wanted to initiate um, and especially in relation to the story. It was really difficult, I suppose, setting up a charity when you have no experience whatsoever, no knowledge of the not-for-profit sector yeah. and what it requires. So I, I I mean, I was just um, somebody that worked in finance and, okay. you know, I had a couple of kids, but, you know, I sort of lived inside a bubble, essentially, just looking after my family. Um, so it, it was a very steep learning process. Yeah. And, but a lot of Googling. <laughs> oh, <what> gosh. <laughs> Google is certainly my friend. Yeah, we've used that one a lot um, as well. So a lot of, a lot of online learning, a lot of yeah. research um, conducted online. And so that was amazing. I don't know where I would be without Google. Yeah. <laughs> Probably unemployed. Um, <laughs> but um, I, the thing was that, well, I sent off a lot of emails to people and said that yeah. this is what I want to do. This is why I want to create the charity and its goals and purposes. And um, certainly people from that were very interested in uh, wanting to make a difference as well. Oh, so it's people from the industry were really engaged as well as, you know, we I managed to get a lawyer and um, an accountant and all relevant people from industries that I needed. Very handy people to have on, <laughs> on your team. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. So um, it was, we essentially were a very small charity and still are today. And when we talk about our board and the governance of the, the organisation, but um, yeah, look, we have certainly come really far from our very humble very beginnings, humble beginnings yeah. in 2000. We've got to start somewhere. <laughs> we what, do. Yeah. 
I think you've done a, a very good job uh, to date, and you know it's 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 still only early. There's a, there's a lot a lot of um, benefit to come out of what you're doing. I think it's a very uh, noble quest. Um, so tell us a little bit about the role you play in the foundation. Yeah, sure. So my role is the an executive director on the Chase and Tyler Foundation. So I wear two hats. I sit on the board of directors. So I have a governance role where we look after the oversight of the organisation. So looking at strategy, finance, etc. And then I also wear my operational hat where I'm essentially involved in nearly every aspect of the charity from marketing and communication to um, partnerships to finances to fundraising. So everything, mostly the website development, everything that you see that's um, generally happened, (laughs) I've been dabbling behind the scenes, so don't hold it against me. (laughs) (laughs) No, everything that I've seen in in my research for our chat today has been a very, very professionally run uh, <laughs> charity. So, and it's interesting. A lot of people probably w- wouldn't realise that um, there is a vast uh, variety of how charities are set up in Australia. You've got some that have got a lot of money behind them um, and are run by people that are paid. Um, and there are the the charities at the other end of the scale that are, are run on the goodwill of people who are giving their time voluntarily. And you may not realise that they're struggling financially or just doing what they can to get by. But uh, we had a little bit of chat before we (laughs) press record today. And uh, one of the things I did say is that uh, Australians in particular seem to have a good idea or a good good idea of um, when... um, there is a good cause to get behind and I feel very proud in, in that that um, people do understand uh, wh- when someone comes up to you with a hat and says, okay, we're doing this for a charity, would you want to get involved? Uh, there are, It is good across Australia that people are willing to put their hand in their pocket and say, okay, I, I think what you're doing is great and I want to get behind it. Absolutely. Uh, in relation to volunteers, we're all volunteer run. So that's all our directors on the board and our volunteers that help with the operations. And um, we essentially, on our board level, state that we are run by the smell of an oily rag. So we don't have any funds particularly, but um, we've done some really successful things. So it's, uh, we, I suppose we have a lot to appreciate for our community members really jumping on board and wanting to volunteer for organisations because essentially without them, a lot of not-for-profit organisations would not be able to operate so so you're always looking for volunteer help (laughs) always looking for volunteers so So what can people out there listening today what can they do if they're interested in getting involved well um so they can head over to our website or contact us so it's www.chaseandtyler it's c-h-a-s-e and tyler.org.au or they can send an uh, an email to info at chaseandtyler.org.au so um, they can essentially just ask if we have any volunteer roles which we certainly do and uh, we would contact you to discuss that further well and uh, for those people out there listening there's volunteers don't necessarily is not necessarily limited to getting out there and uh, doing lots of stuff you can be a volunteer by helping 
helping spread the uh, the message as well. So getting on your social channels and sharing, uh, liking all the pages. I'm, I'm sh- I guess you're on uh, Facebook. We are. Yep. Facebook, and Instagram, fantastic. YouTube and Twitter, and, everything uh, get, else. Get out there and hit the like button. <laughs> and whenever there's information that you uh, think is uh, relevant to your circles of um, followers and friends, uh, make sure you share it out as well. Let's talk a little bit about carbon monoxide. Many people out there probably are unaware of what what it is and what it can do so uh, I'm guessing we'd be in the same boat prior to um, your accident there's prior to starting in plumbing uh, which was just recently um, I didn't really know what it was so can you sort of share you've probably done a little bit of research since (laughs) on what it is carbon monoxide is a colourless odourless and tasteless gas which interferes with the ability of red blood cells to carry oxygen. So this results in rapid damage to the heart and brain from oxygen starvation. So a lot of people are at risk from, well, all people are at risk really from carbon monoxide poisoning. And it also includes animals as well. So, but certain particular groups such as pregnant women, unborn babies, children, the elderly people and people with chronic heart anemia or respiratory problems are more susceptible to its effects. So So what essentially the big problem is with carbon monoxide poisoning that especially over the winter period it's very similar to flu-like symptoms so we're looking at headaches, nausea, dizziness, burning eyes, confusion, drowsiness uh, and even loss of consciousness so and in very severe cases it obviously causes um, brain damage and death Um, but what we have over the winter period is that there's a lot of misdiagnosis so I mean, I'm personally suspecting that we've had hundreds of thousands of carbon monoxide poisoning cases in Australia, but especially given the consideration of our very unsafe gas appliances in our homes and that we really haven't identified all of them as yet. Um, So what happens is that these people that are potentially getting sick, that they're misdiagnosed. So they're either misdiagnosing themselves, thinking that they've got a cold or they're unwell or they've been, you know, working two jobs, etc., or they're presented to whether it's emergency department or their GP and have been advised the same mm-hmm. um, and have been told to then go home, keep warm uh, yeah. and rest up, which we all know that that's essentially a spiral in the winter periods because what do we do when we're sick? You know, crank we're up snuggling. the heater. That's right, we crank yeah. up the heater. We're either on the couch or in bed. Yeah. And spread out the spread out the, uh, the woolly blanket <laughs> uh, right. in front on the couch and... Put on Netflix or whatever, and Absolutely. just rest it off. That's right. So we're we're in fact inspo- exposing ourselves um, to this danger even more okay. so. So yeah. I think that's what you know we all need to take into consideration over the winter period is that you know are you suffering these type of symptoms? Is there anybody else in the house suffering these type of symptoms? Do they get better when you're actually away from your home or over the summer period when you're not utilising these um, gas or fuel burning appliances? So it's always good to have it in the back of the mind of you know it could potentially be carbon monoxide. It's just part of our home safety checklist that we should be um, adding to the list by now. Yeah, okay. So coming up to the the cooler months of the year, uh, there is going to be a lot of people turning to those appliances in their homes to uh, whether it be to cook or to keep themselves warm. Or uh, what is your? Do you have any recommendations for people that are concerned about what could possibly happen? 
Absolutely. So um, we conduct our Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week, which is coming up shortly on the 29th of April to the 6th of May. I should know these dates off by heart. That's okay. Everyone get out your your calendars (laughs) and put that one in. And so so our Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week is essentially just enforcing the message back to consumers to, you know, make sure that you service your gas and fuel burning appliances every one to two years. So, um, you know, make sure you do this before you turn on the appliance. Let's try and do it before the winter period because anybody that has had their appliances serviced over the winter period, everybody tries to do it. It's because it's like the last minute action where they, oh, yep. it's suddenly cold. Oh, I haven't had my gas heater service, so I'll call a gas fitter or a plumber. And then, you know, they're inundated with all these calls. So there potentially could be a little bit of a wait. So try and get in a little bit earlier, like as in now, if you can, because not only will you be able to get a service pretty quickly that you might be able to be offered some discounts in relation to that. So um, it's always a good idea to look at um, getting your gas appliance service in the off season, because number one, it's certainly going to be cheaper and you're not doing it last minute. So you're not potentially turning on your gas appliance because it's cold but in turn it could be dangerous and causing health impacts to you and your family so it's always certainly a number one priority is about servicing gas and fuel burning appliances yeah so get it done asap so you're not uh just like we do in summer go to turn on the air conditioner realize there's something wrong with it and call out the uh, air conditioner Mechanic, and then realise that he's uh, responding to fifty other people who are in the same uh, boat. So, who who would you need to contact to get your uh, gas appliance serviced? So, we're looking for our um, Type A gas fitters. So, they could come under the head of a gas fitter or a plumber. Um, so, sometimes I think that confuses consumers into who to select, but they need to have Type A gas appliance servicing on the back of their license. Mm -hmm. So um, these people are qualified and licensed to actually go in to service your gas appliance, your gas heater especially. They've conducted the training with Master Plumbers, Energy Safe Victoria and Victorian Building Association. So they're aware of about how to conduct carbon monoxide spilling tests as well as the full complete process when servicing your appliances and which now includes certainly negative pressure testing so these are very important not just to get any joe blow you know we these forums or websites now where we can get you know people to do very cheap service but these people obviously may not be licensed or registered Um, so in fact when you're utilizing people that are unqualified is a risk to your life. So this is why it's fundamental to ensure you're getting somebody that is appropriately skilled in this area. So type A, <laughs> licensed gas fitter. Uh, on the, on the um, topic of carbon monoxide, I, in my research for this interview, I also noticed that um, it's not just inside your homes. There's people still have to be mindful with camping, uh, boating and even in their workplace. Absolutely. So essentially you are at risk from carbon monoxide poisoning if you have any gas or fuel burning appliance in a confined space. Um, So again, it comes back to how carbon monoxide impacts. So it's um, 
It's all to do with the air within yep. the building or the dwelling that you're operating in. Operating in confined spaces. That's, I guess yes. thinking about the camping, that would be operating a stove with all of the uh, – uh, windows zip down exactly so and that also it comes so when you're camping you're looking at generators and the placement yeah. where you're camping so making sure that it's really far back away from your tents never bringing any gas or fuel burning appliance inside your tent and as well as the open fire that there's adequate dis- distance um, between your, the fire or any gas and fuel burning appliance and you know any dwelling or, or something where it will be enclosed closed so and you're going to be sitting or sleeping in there because very dangerous and we've had deaths in Australia so you might not hear about these um, but in relation to say work-related incidents we have had a few we've had a cab driver in Melbourne who died in 2013 and this was due to a faulty exhaust so um, wow yeah, so I don't know. Not many people probably hear about it because they he- always hear our campaign about the gas heaters. Yeah. But the Chase and Tyler Fa- Foundation advocate for the awareness uh, raising and education of all types of um, incidents that can occur. So that's, as you specified, that's work, um, camping, caravanning, um, boating. Yeah. So a lot of different types of ways that you could be exposed. So for boating we've had a few deaths in relation to there was two men in Tasmania um, that died so they used a portable power generator in 2016 with um, their cruiser so they died from carbon monoxide poisoning and we also had Nicholas Banfield who went sailing in Sydney with his girlfriend and that was only about six months later um, and he was killed and his girlfriend was taken to hospital with acute carbon monoxide poisoning So just using a gas burning appliance in a confined space? Yeah absolutely so Nicholas used a gas gas stove top and the other gentleman used the portable power generator. So okay. when we're looking at camping, we've had um, a two people that died. It was Derek and Helena in 2015, and that was from a wood chip fire being brought into a converted shipping container. So um, that was uh, quite a horrific death in New South Wales. And in July in 2017, we had a man that was also found dead um, by carbon monoxide poisoning, which was caused by a, um, a small bottle um, gas butane heater so that he used okay. inside his tent. And just thinking that could even be uh, becoming very common to do outdoor entertaining and I'm thinking about, yes. you know, barbecuing and the mm-hmm. big... Um, uh, gas heaters. And uh, I know a lot of people using it in confined spaces. It gets cold. You zip down your patio blinds, or Absolutely. even even if you're operating in your garage, if you get out of the rain, Absolutely. I suppose that could have a very similar effect as well. Oh, huge impact! So, yeah. um, oh gosh, I remember a friend telling me actually oh, years ago it was after the boys died that um, she actually had a held a party and it was in her outdoor space. So um, they had patio heaters in there and they did not have adequate ventilation and she said the entire party was sick and they felt like you know they they were nauseous and sick and they had headaches and it wasn't only until a little bit later that they realized that it was from the patio heater and carbon monoxide poisoning so 
It would be so common because we are moving to our outdoor areas now and, you know, we want to expand our homes and make sure that we've got that lovely outdoor entertainment area, but we're not really thinking about our appliances that we're using. We're still assuming that's an outdoor space and these are fine to use, but in fact it's not. So it's always thinking about the appliances in your home and outside of the home and making sure that you're not potentially putting yourself in danger. For sure. The inquest into the death of 62-year-old Sonia Sofianopoulos, who died from carbon dioxide poisoning in her Greensboro unit in July 2017, recommended that hundreds of thousands of potentially deadly heaters across Australia should be banned and gas fitters forced to complete up-to-date carbon monoxide training. While this is a big step in the right direction, what else can we be doing from to stop this from happening again? Look, in relation to Sonia, it was very frustrating for me to hear about this happening in public housing. I had a meeting with the housing minister, oh gosh, I think it was in 2013, about the dangers of carbon monoxide poisoning. And I wanted to um, be advised about their servicing regime to ensure that their tenants were going to be safe from carbon monoxide poisoning. Unfortunately, during this conversation that um, the minister was certainly aware of the dangers, but I, um, I received the old political spin of blaming the other party and that they were going to conduct how many appliances or gas appliances were in these particular properties and then they were going to service or initiate a service regime. So unfortunately we heard the same old story back when Sonia died. Um, there was nothing implemented and then they used this recommendation to stipulate that they're now going to start servicing. So I think it's just really difficult to see that you know, people have to die before A, there's a recommendation made, and then that's essentially going to be elected if they choose to follow that. So, sure. you know, it's it's sort of a little bit of a brushing the incident underneath the carpet in relation to um, Department of Housing for myself. But, um, you know, I, I think that we in Australia, we should be proactive and not reactive, which I feel that we can be in a lot of times. And we really don't want to put our money where our mouths are um, when it comes to safety. I mean, this is the biggest thing. Human life is certainly what we need to ensure that there's no impacts on. I mean, we're looking at loss of life, but not only loss of life, those impacted by carbon monoxide poisoning have a huge detrimental impacts to their health for the rest of their lives. So we're looking at cost analysis, which the government always does. Then this is a huge financial burden. So I suppose in relation to the recommendations, I think that the banning of the open fluid gas appliances is certainly a fantastic initiative. that I feel that obviously this is a long-term plan, that we are still going to have a lot of vulnerable people. So who are financially disadvantaged or those in rental properties or government housing that are going to still have these old appliances. So we need to have a two-pronged approach essentially to ensure that consumers are safe and in whole. So the banning of open food appliances is certainly a step. Then we certainly need to look at legislating for mandatory appliance servicing in all rental and government housing. 
I've been talking about this for years and nothing's yeah. been completed. And I essentially, if um, this was conducted in Sonia's home and if we had appropriate training for the gas fitter, I don't know whether this gas fitter was fully qualified that we need to Sonia's home or not, but... Um, then you know she might be here today if that was initiated and conducted correctly. So I mean, let's talk about legislation in all all of these rental properties and government yeah, housing. Like that would be amazing. We also should be looking at you know making sure that we're constantly um, putting in the professional development for gas fitters and plumbers, ensuring yeah. that they're skilled in this area. And obviously, this is going to look after the public health in the long term. The servicing of type A appliance standards should definitely be adopted. So this is prevalent for our gas fitting community to be able to do their job correctly when it comes to servicing these gas appliances. So I believe there's a bit of a wait at the moment um, trying to get this adopted. So that is fundamental for consumers because this essentially is going to lead in for our gas fitters and plumbers doing the job correctly in our home. Um, And then obviously... I believe that there should be a development of an Australian standard for carbon monoxide alarms. Currently, um, the government's now talking about utilising carbon monoxide alarms, which we've certainly always advocated for in the past as a secondary measure, um, not as a first measure, certainly. But um, we do have a lot of cheap alarms from China at the moment. So what we want to do is make sure that we have good quality carbon monoxide alarms and good information out there for consumers. Fantastic. Uh, Many of the appliances, like the one responsible for the death of your sons, are found in public housing and rental properties. Um, What advice do you have for the people who find themselves in that position? What what actions can they take to keep their homes and their families safe? So... There are, so we essentially have the Residential Tenancy Act, which requires that um, the landlord has to ensure the premises are maintained in good repair. So this is inclusive of gas and electrical appliances. So there's also the recommendation from Energy Safe Victoria and REIV that um, the gas appliances should be serviced at least one to two years, or every two years, should I say. Um, Now, I think that the first step would be is certainly contacting your landlord or agent and asking, and I would send an email, which is actual written evidence. Now, contact them and ask when the gas service was last conducted on your appliance. And if indeed, if it was longer than two years, put a request immediately in for that to be serviced. So don't use it. I know it's a little bit hard or probably easy for me to say don't use it, but don't use the gas heater until this has been serviced because essentially with a lot of uh, unsafe gas appliances out there at the moment, when especially when we're talking about open fluid gas appliances, that you really just don't want to take that risk. Um, so make sure that you have that service before use. Um, indeed, make sure that um, when your gas fitter has come to service your appliance, ask them to ensure that there's adequate ventilation in that home to run that gas appliance. So you, your gas fit is going to do a lot of um, strange things that you probably don't understand, which is, yeah. you know, closing off doors and windows. And so, um, and then obviously running all your extraction fans. So 
he or she might um, go into various rooms of your house. So it could be your toilet to run your extraction fan. It could be your kitchen to run your extraction fan and any other ones in your home because essentially what they want to do is test for negative pressure. So you want to ensure that um, the gas fitter that you've got, you you have actually got going to your home is doing the appropriate checks and making sure that your house is safe when you're using that, that gas appliance. So that's really important. And then they've obviously got to do a, a carbon monoxide test, obviously, at the end of the appliance service. So that's not just coming to your home and waving a CO analyzer in front of your gas heater. There's a lot more to it. So if you see anybody doing that, give your landlord or um, or your real estate agent a call and just say, look, I suspect that this hasn't been conducted properly. Yeah. I would also probably ask your landlord to see if they could pop in a carbon monoxide alarm. Um, so putting in a request, I mean, it's not going to hurt anybody, but if not, if they're not willing to do that, then you can go to any um, any. I suppose, DIY stores such as Bunnings and you can purchase a good audible carbon monoxide alarm yourself. Um, so it just okay. essentially is a it's a good mechanism. But there's a few other steps as well that you could certainly take. Yeah, so going on your, your last point um, about uh, waving around a, a tester, uh, part of my job uh, here is to monitor social media and pick up on what the community is concerned about uh, in relation to plumbing and other things. And I recently saw a post uh, for a um, uh, like a community notice board of someone asking for a recommendation uh, of someone to come out and test for carbon monoxide in their home. And one of the first responses on that thread was somebody suggesting to go out to Bunnings and buy a tester to do it yourself. Number one, it's cheaper. <laughs> Number two, you get this whiz-bang tester to uh, keep for yourself later. I'm going to assume that that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's quite concerning, that um, their suggestion. So uh, we've had a big issue within the industry and we've addressed this. So part of the foundation, we do a lot of things, but we also address issues within the industry. So we've got a couple of amazing um, gas fitters, plumbers on our board. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so our problem we had at one stage or, and continues to be actually is that we had um, any Tom, Dick and Harry that has purchased their dandy, you know, $50 analyzer yep. um, wherever they've done this. And um, these people may may not be qualified as well. And they come around just to do a an inspe- inspection test. So similar, um, similar, I suppose, to these people that are doing alarm tests for your smoke alarms. But now they'll come in, they'll run an analyzer past your heater and say, oh, well, that's okay, no problem, thank you, that's $150. Or, you know, they might then, depending if they sell appliances, then they might be, who knows, selling you an appliance on top of that. The problem is that when we're talking about carbon monoxide analyzers and testing in the home is that there's there can be bigger problems behind the scene. So indeed, this appliance may not be spilling carbon monoxide outside uh, into the room, but it could have severe issues behind the scene, so in the flue. Um, So your appliance needs to be pulled apart and a 
full appliance service needs to be conducted. So never, if anybody's just doing that random test, then there's a bit of a concern. If people are going out buying an analyzer for personal use, then uh, there's there's big problems in the industry if so we can allow I, that I to happen. I guess it's, it's, it's similar to giving someone a, <clears throat> a guitar and telling them to go out on stage and... Um, play with a, a band it's uh, you got to know it's good to have the thing in your hand but you've got to know how to use it effectively to get any benefit from it I guess yes but in uh, the only unfortunate part is that people can die in this this scenario and there's a difference between um, gas analyzers and carbon monoxide alarms so carbon monoxide alarms are for consumers so they appear to look like smoke alarms and analyzers are for gas fitters and plumbers so they're professional pieces of equipment um, that they uh, have to be calibrated every 12 months so um, these specialists know how to use these equipment appropriately and they know the process to conduct when they're trying to or utilizing this uh, this testing equipment yeah so that's so don't do that (laughs) okay so it's always good to make sure you've got a professional that knows what they're doing they've got the right tools and they also know what's happening so in relation to what you were saying before with the uh, the spillage is affected by the different uh, say extraction fans that you've got in your house mm-hmm. when when a gas appliance is operating effectively it's drawing whatever carbon monoxide is being produced and drawing that out and pushing it to the outside of the house if mm-hmm. you turn on a an extraction fan or if you're cooking and you have a an extraction fan operating above your stovetop that could affect the pressure and, and start drawing even if it is minimal amounts drawing that carbon monoxide back into the house which is why you need uh, a qualified and trained professional to be able to conduct those variations in uh, environment and make sure that uh, when they leave the house they are confident that regardless of whatever fans are turned on in the house uh, that all of the carbon monoxide and whatever else is being drawn to the outside. Absolutely and I think it's really important to consider when you're adding pieces of or appliances to your home that um, yes it's Bunnings stock everything but the piece of appliance that you're adding to your home is it essentially going to have ramifications with something else in your in your house and that's where we're looking at a lot of these extraction fans where um, a lot of them are essentially commercial sometimes commercial um, types where they, they're just essentially um, impacting a lot of gas heaters. So, And that's, this is the issue when they're found with the open fluid gas heaters that the use of extraction fans has huge implications and has been found to spill carbon monoxide in homes. So um, make sure you think about these appliances that you're utilising or um, installing in your home and have a professional have a look yeah. at it. Don't just do it yourself. So if you've got a gas appliance operating in your home and you get it tested, it might be fine then. But as soon as you get uh, some change to the environment in that uh, room, whether you get uh, the – even if it's a matter of getting an extraction fan uh, replaced or, or fitted somewhere in your house – it's a good idea to go out and get the uh, appliance tested again because the environment around that appliance has then been changed. Correct. So the big thing is with us 
trying to ensure that, um, you know, we're keeping in the warmth of our homes and we're talking um, double glazing and, you know, people are closing up ventilation, whereas this is back in the olden days that um, we we had ventilation in our home and it was drafty and, you know, we were generally cold a lot, but we had blankets. But I suppose a lot of times that when we did use these appliances, that's probably what saved our lives because homes were drafty. Um, We've got an example where one of my um, lovely board members, he went and serviced somebody's home, um, found the appliance, had no problems whatsoever. And um, I think he went back, I believe, maybe 12 months later and the gas appliance was spilling huge amounts of carbon monoxide. So the gentleman that received the service, he was like, well, why has this happened? Or, you know, you just came 12 months ago. And and the gas fitter was thinking, well, this is really strange. I don't, I, I don't know what it was. So having a further discussion with um, this homeowner, they found, or well, he found that um, the homeowner double glazed the windows. So that had a okay. really big impact on the gas heater. So it's these simple acts and, you know, closing up the ventilation can cause spillage from your appliance. So... That's um, it's a really important message to go back to the Always community. Always something to consider whenever you're doing anything to your house. Uh, think about how it can affect all of the other things that are already operating. Uh, Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week is an initiative started by your foundation and it's coming up soon. Uh, in fact, it's April 29 to May 5th. You may have mentioned that earlier. Uh, how did that come about? Um, what, what are you going to be doing and what can the community do to help? So um, Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week came about because we needed to engage community members, businesses, gas fitters, governments um, to sort of heed the winter and make sure that we're pushing out safety messages to communities. So um, Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week was a really great initiative which um, we launched in 2013. So um, we developed a toolkit which we send via email to a variety of different partners and then we essentially ask for people to get involved. So we predominantly do social media um, campaigns which is really good. We do face-to-face campaigns. We might do a launch um, depending we might have an energy minister around or doing some type of initiative but really what we are asking community members to engage in is um, a lot of our social media awareness um, sharing the posts that are online or downloading the toolkit or just having that simple conversation with your family and friends or neighbor and just say that you know, it's carbon monoxide awareness week and have you had your gas appliance service lately and do you know much about carbon monoxide? So it's sometimes it's those simple, easy conversations that can save somebody's life. And so, you know, we can't do things by ourselves. We're a very small charity and we've got some great supporters such as Master Plumbers and NSA Victoria, um, Victorian Building Authority. So we do Kids Safe Victoria. We do a lot of great initiatives, but we can't do it by ourselves. So everybody's got a part to play in home safety. So, um, you know, essentially help spread the awareness and um, let's try and get some some great safety messages going before the winter period. Fantastic. I think what you're doing with the foundation is absolutely amazing. You to be commended for your bravery and taking it on such a, a great challenge. 
Um, what can people do going forward? Is it just a matter of keeping tabs of the website and the social media channels? Because uh, I guess what you're looking for is advocates to help you spread your message. Absolutely. Well, um, I probably should give you some <laughs> insight into what we do. Sure. So um, the Chase and Tyler Foundation, as we spoke before, it was founded in 2011 as a national non-profit organisation with DGR status, which is deductible gift recipient, for those who don't know. So that means if you're donating money, you can claim it on tax? Yes, that's correct. So we're dedicated to the prevention of illness, injury and death from accident, accidental carbon monoxide poisoning. And this is conducted through awareness, education, support services, advocacy and research. So how we do that is we provide education awareness to consumers on gas and fuel burning appliance safety and accidental carbon monoxide prevention. We provide clinical education uh, for clinicians on diagnosing accidental carbon monoxide and aftercare. We've had a published article in the Medical Journal of Australia, which was very exciting, from our past board member, Dr Barbara Robertson. So she's now an advisor on the board. Um, We work with regulators in industry, addressing current issues impacting the industry and advocating for continual upskilling and education of our gas fitters and plumbers. We also address any issues that are impacting consumers as well. Um, that we feel that need to be certainly addressed and um, something to be done about it as soon as possible. So we've got some great relationships and um, they're, they're fantastic in actually listening to our issues and addressing them. So we're also doing statistical research across Australia on carbon monoxide poisoning Uh, accidental carbon monoxide poisoning energy poverty which I'll speak about energy poverty in a moment Um, so within Australia we have very little data and statistics so we've got a little bit here and there in some states but as Australia as a whole not particularly that great so the foundation is actually conducting our own research at the moment we've got a great team of volunteers who are doing this so um, hopefully soon we'll have really good valuable data and we can see how many people who are presenting to GPs emergency departments how many people who have been misdiagnosed who have died and a variety of different ways that they have passed away or been exposed to carbon monoxide which would be really helpful with our campaigns also we provide services to community members and these are community members that are impacted by energy poverty. So energy poverty is essentially um, somebody or disadvantaged people that are struggling in relation to affording um, any heating services okay. or um, cooling services, I suppose, in summer. But essentially yeah. where it comes into with carbon monoxide poisoning is that we've seen a radical increase in carbon monoxide exposure with any um, fuel burning appliances, especially outdoors, being brought inside. So these people who are suffering financial disadvantage, they can't afford their gas or electrical services over the winter period. So what we see is they are bringing in their barbecues, their charcoal briquettes, their um, patio heaters, their generators, they use the stove tops, they use gas ovens, yeah. anything that essentially can heat their home. And um, we've had so many people die across Australia from this and um, not to mention the thousands that are continually being sick so or injured. Um, it's, 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 really, it's really sad to see that when somebody 
who has to go this far when they don't have the money to afford basic heating. So in our little way um, that we're trying to provide a provision of services back to these community members. So because we essentially have no money, that um, we are providing carbon monoxide alarms and we're providing blankets and educational resources to community members at the moment. Um, So we're working on a project for this year as well. And essentially, as we build the organisation, we have a little bit more funds, then we'll be able to provide, um, hopefully, gas appliance servicing um, services for those who are impacted by carbon monoxide. So that would be medical treatment um, and also some housing support if indeed their house is found unsafe. I know for myself, after the accident, I had no resources whatsoever. I was injured at my rental home I wasn't when I was discharged from hospital I couldn't even walk properly I had to go back and live at my mum's house certainly couldn't live at that rental place anymore anyway given what happened but I was um, I had to go back to work a few months after after being discharged and I was so sick and I was on a lot of pain medication and I still had my arm in a sling and I really don't know how I'd done it whatsoever but there was no financial supports there for me whatsoever because it wasn't transport accident it wasn't a workplace injury so I was really stuck in that regard so that's why I think it's really important for those who have some financial protection who have been impacted by carbon monoxide at least they can provide some clinical financial um, money to provide some clinical assistance in relation to, you know, because there's huge impacts for short and long-term exposure to carbon monoxide, especially acute. So a lot of specialists are required. So if we can help in that any little way, that's um, certainly what we're looking to do so. Oh, that's fantastic. And as I said before, you're uh, to be commended on your bravery in taking on such a huge challenge. So I uh, wish, wish you well with everything and um, all the best. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Master Plumbers Radio. Check out the Master Plumbers website at plumber.com.au or hit us up on email at podcast at plumber.com.au. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram.